Good morning. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to First Timothy, First Peter, First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. And for context, I want to read from verses six down to verse eleven, but we're mainly going to ver- look at verse eight today. First Peter chapter five, verse six. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober mind or spirit. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. To him be might forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this precious word. I pray that as we unpack this passage today that it would just be a blessing to our heart and our life and then Lord may we take proper actions to implement these things uh, into our life that would glorify and and honor you and we pray these things in Jesus name amen well last week last Saturday there was a surprise attack on Israel and that made the news and it got our attention uh, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see what has happened there. Um, and once again, we see this devastation of war. War is not a good thing. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. But this uh, has gone beyond war. This is a brutality. This is, this is complete disregard of dignity of life. And... You see that, uh, uh, just profoundly sad what Hamas has done to Israel. War in general takes life. It destroys property and and robs us of our loved ones. But this is a holy war. This is a war that was rooted in, in a belief system and causes them to to be proud of what they are doing and to, to take the bodies and drag them through the streets and and to make a spectacle of these things. There's nothing humble about this at all. This is a very prideful, pride-filled thing because it's, it's part of the belief system of Hamas. And so our heart goes out to Israel. And it's hard for us to process this. I mean, how, how do we look at this? This is Israel. You know, these are God's chosen people, and it's hard for us to, to think about this and, and know how to pray for this land um, I mean, the, the church is now God's people. We are His possessions. And, and He has set Israel aside. And we know that, <clears throat> that Israel rejected their Messiah. They rejected the Christ. And the, there's a, a partial hardening we see in Scripture, Romans. Uh, Paul says in Romans. They continue to, to, uh, to reject their Messiah, Christ. 
But what gives us hope and what should give Israel hope is that we see in Scripture that someday God is going to work in their hearts again and, and going to restore that nation back to their proper place. And we see it in Scripture. There's going to be a time at the end of the, the Gentiles, the, the time of the Gentiles, when that is going to be completed, then Christ is going to return and He's going to restore Israel back to that that position. But as of right now, we don't see that. In fact, they find themselves in a jihad, a holy war. And, and they're fighting, a, it's, it's a physical war. But something that's more important than this physical war that they're dealing with, and, and something that should draw our attention more to prayer, much more important, is the spiritual warfare that's, that's going on. And that the fact that they are blinded by Satan. And we need to pray to the Lord. Lord, open their eyes. What Israel needs is Christ. They, they need to accept Christ as their Savior, their Messiah. And yet, we see them fighting this, this holy war. They're fighting, I, I just see Israel much like Paul or Saul was early on. He was fighting against the church and Christ had to just come down and, and get his attention. And, and, and we just pray, Lord, get Israel's attention. Help them to see these things. They need Christ. And that, that I think, is our biggest prayer for Israel. And we've been looking at spiritual warfare lately. And I, I just think it's ironic that we, you know, Israel's moving into to a war time. Um, war is never good. It, it's It's devastating. And spiritual war is not good. Spiritual war is, is actually even more devastating. More devastating because we're dealing with the souls of men. And we're not dealing with a, a holy war. Paul calls it a good fight. <laughs> That's kind of an under, understatement. But he calls it a good fight. And he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, Timothy, I want you to join me in this in this good fight. It's a good fight of faith. It's a spiritual warfare here. In fact, when he comes to the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see that Paul says, I'm being poured out as a, a drink offering. His, his life was a sacrifice to the Lord. And, and he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. I finished my course. And for him, for Paul, the fight had, had ended. It was, was getting ready to end. And, but he, he says it's a good fight. It's a good fight. Why is it a good fight? It's a good fight because we're fighting for the souls of men. The souls of women. Not, not just the bodies only, but, but for their soul. It's a good fight because, because it promotes light. It promotes truth and righteousness and humility and dependence and faith on God in a dark world. It's a good fight because it retards the decay of, of sin in society and, and corruption and holds back the, the judgment of God. It's a good fight because it, it keeps Satan in, in his check, Satan's lies in, in check, in the deception of the world. The, dishonesty and pride of the world. Number six, it's a good fight because the reward is good. <laughs> Someday we're going to 
be rewarded for this fight. What a wonderful thing. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. Now we saw, we've been, just, just by way of re- review, we've seen uh, in the previous weeks this spiritual warfare and the reality that we face in this spiritual warfare, that it started in the very heart of Satan, at his, uh, at his creation, um, that his, he, he looks around at his beauty, and we see this in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17. We looked at this, and, and his heart was lifted up in pride. Um, and he, had, he, he was corrupted. The very core of his being he is now a rebel, a rebel against God. He, he was lifted up in pride. That then caused him to, to twist his thinking and live under a delusion or a lie. And then he began to seek independence of God. Independence. So those three elements are, are so key. They're so important that three main components of rebellion against God are those three things. And then uh, Satan then was cast down to the earth and he began his attack upon God's creation. God's human beings. And he, through his deception of, of Eve, we are now born in sin and rebellion against God. We are born rebels. We're sold into sin. At the very core of our being are these same three marks. Pride, the twisting of reality, living under a delusion, a lie, And then seeking independence from God. We can do it our own way. And from from Eve to the prostitute in the book of Proverbs, to Peter and his denial of Christ, to David and his sin with Bathsheba, to to the, the man who walked away from Paul, Demas, who loved this present world, we see these three things. Pride, a delusion, delusional lie, and independence from God. I'm going to do things my way. That's the core of sin. That's the core of a rebellion against God. And Satan is leading this world in that same direction. And that's what we see in the passage that was read for us earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In which we formerly walked. That was the, the lifestyle that we had. It was our walk according to the course of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air. That's Satan himself. The spirit that is now, even now, working in the sons of disobedience. And among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves. We used to be in that camp, rebelling against God. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. We were shaking our fist at God and we were under God's wrath. But then the good news, and Josh pointed that out. And he's right. It's a wonderful phrase in a whole of Scripture. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, He made us alive in Christ. Now, folks, that's a dramatic change. It's a dramatic change. Uh, Spiritual rebirth here. In Titus chapter 2, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 3, we see this 
The same idea that Paul says. Let me read this verse. For we, were, we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable hating one another. But when the kindness and the affection of God our Savior, that's what we needed, the Savior. When His kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness, right? works which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy through, and here's the key part, the washing of regeneration. That means that He regenerated us. He gave us new life. Regenerated and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Christ said that you were born again. That's a radical transformation. From the inside out. We're, we're new creatures. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We are new creations. New creatures in Christ. And he says, goes on to say in that verse, that old things have passed away. All things have become new. So now, instead of, instead of pride, that pride has been replaced with humility. And that speaking lies, that twisting truth, living under delusion, we seek after the truth and we speak the truth. And instead of seeking independence from God, we live by faith and dependence upon God. We live a life of faith. We have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We pursue that. We're no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. And folks, that's a change at the very core of who we are. We're no longer rebels against God, shaking our fists. But now, what did the song say? We're seated at the table. We're seated at His table. Radical change. We're now fighting with God. We're fighting against Satan. We've crossed that battle line. Now we are on the right side. And folks, it's a good fight. It's a good fight. We are now on God's side. And we're not fighting against God. We have a whole new identity. We have a whole new uniform on. And every Christian needs to face that reality. Face the fact that you are that we're fighting a spiritual war, spiritual reality that's there. And we need to to fight. We need to prepare for ourselves to fight. We have to to know what the battle's like. We have to know how to fight. And I think this passage helps us to understand that. We fight on three fronts. We also saw this right from the front. We're fighting against Satan and Fighting against his lies. We're fighting against the the influence of the world. We're fighting now against the very habits of our own flesh. We fight against that. And and that leads us to the battleground. The battleground is our our own mind. That's the primary battleground. It's not Washington, D.C. It's not the state on a state level. It's it's not culturally necessary. It's really in in our own mind. It's the mind of the believer, the very heart and and the mind of who we are. And and there's the battleground because that's where the change has taken place. That's where the new life is in Christ. We have new loves and affections and desires and purposes and and new direction. And so that causes us then to fight like Paul said. Dave read in Romans chapter 7, Paul's struggle there was within the heart. 
And that's the main struggle for the believer. We're going to be looking at that in the next couple, in in these uh, two weeks, today and next week. And now we fight against our own flesh. It's not just the devil. It's not just the world. The battle is right here. Within our own flesh. That's where Paul struggled. That, That part of us that has not been changed. Um, there's a residual effect of, of sin, and, it, and it's in the mind. The battleground is the mind. Also, because of, because of sin, that's where sin re- resides. We have to fight that sin, that habits of the flesh. And we must put those things to death. We also fight Satan there as well. Because that's where Satan feeds us his lies. They, they come into our, our ear gate and we, we have to wrestle with them and we need discernment there. We have to resist Satan and those lies. And then number four, that's where the world tries to influence us is, is right there in our heart. Uh, we have to overcome the world because it's tied to our flesh. It's all tied to our flesh and, and we're struggling with our flesh. The, the real Carl Dingus is still trapped in a body of, of flesh and, and there's a, a warfare going on there. And, and to simply think that we can just be Christians and just, and just change the outside, just take on a few commands, just, just try to keep the good, the Ten Commandments, and, and never really deal with the heart, folks, that's a misconception of Christianity. That's a superficial Christianity that we see, we see in the world today, but it is just not true Christianity. True Christianity is from the inside out. It's from the, the battleground of the mind and the heart. And the, the person with that flesh. And the first step there is dealing with, with the battleground of the mind. And, if, and I, like I said, Peter will help us. In this passage, Peter is preparing his people, these people, to, to deal with that. How do, we, how do we face then Satan? How do we prepare ourselves to, to take on Satan? I mean, how do you, how do, you do that? That's, that's hard stuff. He says, and so let's look at verse 8. The, the, there's a couple of commands here. Verse 8, he says, be of sober mind. Be of sober mind. We're going to look at that, what that means. But notice, he says, because your adversary, the devil, your adversary. Now, that's a good thing. Why is that a good thing? Because it shows that we're on the right side, right? Nobody wants to be on Satan's side. We're on the right side here. This is a good thing. He is now our enemy. Now, when you're facing an enemy, there's two positions that you need to, to have. Sometimes you're on offense and you're, you're taking it to the enemy. Sometimes you're on defense. And what Peter is dealing with here is a, a defensive stance. It's a boxer's stance, we might say. Now, Paul deals with a, an offensive stance in Ephesians chapter 6, in that whole passage, uh, there, we're resisting devil in, in that context, but he's preparing more of an offensive role. And the church should be in, uh, take on an offensive role in fighting this warfare. Because Why? Because Christ is building His church. We are going in and capturing territory away from Satan. And we use the the power of the gospel to do that, the light of the gospel to take it into a dark world. We use the influence of a righteous life into a dark world, and we're capturing that darkness away from Satan and turning it into light. 
And that's, that's a powerful thing. And there, the, the Christian is in a, a, uh, not in a, a passive mode, but a, an active mode, presenting the gospel, pushing the gospel, pushing righteousness. And that's offensive. That's an offensive posture. In this passage, Peter is talking about a defensive posture. And I want us to see that because um, he, he says, it, it comes down to be of sober spirit. Be of sober spirit. Now, what does that mean? Let's go back to what he says. Be of sober spirit. What, what's going to sober us up? The adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Satan is now bringing the battle to us. So we have to stand. We have to take on a defensive posture. He's bringing the, the battle to us. I like what MacArthur says. Uh, John MacArthur in his commentary on this. He said, he and his forces, that's Satan, and his forces are always active, looking for opportunities to overwhelm the believer with temptation, with persecution, or with discouragement. Yep. He's bringing the battle to us. He goes on to say, he's sowing discord, sows discord, accuses God to man, man to God, and man to man. He, he likes to agitate. That's one of the terms for Satan, the devil. He's an agitator. And he will do what he can to drag the Christian out of fellowship with God, or fellowship with Christ, and out of Christ's service altogether. That's Satan. He is bringing the battle to us. We must stand. We must take on a boxer's stance and defend. Defend. And, and, and we, we have to do that with a sober mind. And that's where Peter goes, right here. Peter knows this stuff, by the way. Verse 8, be of sober spirit. It's really, some of your translations may say mind, and that would be a good translation here. It's the same idea, be of sober mind. The idea is, is sober up. Sober up. We live in a silly world. We need to sober up here. Again, John MacArthur talks about this one word or this phrase, be of sober mind. He says, it includes ordering and balancing life's important issues which require the discipline of mind and body to avoid intoxicating allures, allurement of the world. The world? The, the, the fun? The excitement of that world? We have to sober up. We have to don't be intoxicated by that world's allurement. It's like when our kids were young, at the end of every school year, uh, they would know the last day of school, I'd pick them up from school, and we would go into uh, little Humblestown, Pennsylvania, and they had a, a great candy store there. And man, I tell you, you walk in, and you're, you're being pulled. I like this candy. I like that candy. And, and, and it's hard to choose from. And, and that's the idea here. We live in a world that's alluring. It's attracting. And, and we have to be careful. We have to sober up. The world, for the believer, is no place to let the mind to be distracted. We cannot let our mind be distracted. There's, it's not a place for allowing us to be under the influence of the world, uh, under the allurement of the world. 
There's no time for escapism in our own mind. There's no time, uh, no, this is no place in the battlefield, this is no place where we, where we don't face reality. We must face reality. We must be alert. Now, how do we do this? Second question. How do we do this? How can we be sober in spirit? I want you to look back at verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourself. That's the first thing. We can kind of pull all of these things together. Humble yourself. Now, remember our, our three elements of, of rebellion against God? We continue to, to clothe ourselves with humility. Number two, verse seven, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That's our dependence upon God. Pride and, and independence are gone. We're casting our cares upon Him. And now, what about the, the mind? What about the, the twisting of reality part? Verse 8. Be of sober mind. How do we do that? How do we do that? Let me give you nine things. Nine things. I don't know. It just blew your mind. Nine things. And we'll, we'll move through these quickly. But how to be sober spirit. Sober minded. Well, the first one he gives us right here. Be watchful. Be watchful. That's the first one. Be watchful. And it's the same idea. In fact, it's the same command that Christ gave to Peter when they were praying in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before uh, when they came to take Christ. And Christ was, was praying. He was watchful. And he, he goes to his disciples and they were asleep. And here's what he says in Matthew 26, 41. He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the what? The flesh is weak. Be, be sober. Be watchful. Be praying because Satan is there and he's going to lure you in with temptation. And that's exactly what he did with Peter. Peter should have been watchful. And we fight against the, the fleshly tendency to, to be distracted. To, to be lured into sin and lured into temptation or to be lured into dis deception. We're easily deceived, much like Eve. Number two, number two, we, we set our affections on the things of God. Set our affections on the things of God. We're going to see this one in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. And there's two commands here. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. There's two commands. Right? Set your mind on the things above. That's, that's Christ. That's, that's our Heavenly Father. That's where our affections are. That's where the, all of the things that we love are there in heaven. Christ. The, the one that died for us. The one that, that saved us. That redeemed us. That, that changed our life. Christ and He is there and, and, and now we set our mind on Him. Christ said where your heart is, there's where your treasure is going to be. Where are you going to set your heart? Where are you going to set your focus, your attention? The second command though is, is just the opposite. Set your mind on things above. What? Not on the things of this earth. Two commands. So, so we focus like a, a, an arrow. We focus on the things above, and intentionally and deliberately not on the things of this earth. This earth is, is like a candy store. There's a lot of things that's going to grab your attention. 
But he says, don't look at those things. Focus on things above. Don't focus, don't focus intentionally, deliberately, don't focus on the things of this earth. Don't set your mind on the things of this earth. James says, keep or remain unstained by this earth, by this world. So that's the other thing. How to be sober-minded? Number three, abstain from attractions to sin. Abstain from attractions to sin. An allurement to sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. That's the battleground, isn't it? <laughs> and he says, he says uh, abstain, deny yourself. Deny myself? Yes. No, no, we live in a world that is saying, oh, get it all. Don't deny yourself anything. Follow your heart. Take it all. You want it all. You deserve it. And he says, no, you, you deny yourself. Those sins that you gravitate toward, those, those things that, that are ungodly, that, that kind of pull you in, he says, deny, abstain from those things. Abstain from fleshly lust. Why? He gives us the reason. He says, it says, I urge you as, and this is the motivating factor, as aliens and strangers. Folks, we are not of this world. We are going to be different from this world. We might as well give up the idea that we could just fit into this world. It's just not going to happen. We're strangers. We're aliens to this world. This world looks at us and says, man, you guys are strange. You guys are, are different kinds of people. We're different from the At least we should be. At least we should be. Number four, we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard this, this mind. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, this is Christ speaking. His disciples says, be on guard so that your heart will not be weighed down. Now that's interesting. Will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. That the, and that that day will not come upon you suddenly like a, a trap. He says, pr- protect yourselves from being bogged down on the things of this, this life. I mean, it, look, that, that's an attraction, right? We, we look at it around and we, we, we can go into self-pity mode. Thinking, oh man, all is lost. This, this world is terrible. And we can do that. We can get bogged down into the, the, the affairs of, of life and just living and, and all of the hard things of, of life, the, the weightiness of life. But we, we have to protect ourselves and not get bogged down. It's an unhealthy focus on the cares of this world. Where should I focus be? On, on our Heavenly Father. In Matthew chapter 6, Christ says, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Don't don't worry yourself about those things. God's going to take care of those things. And we depend upon Him. He will take care of this. Or, he said, if you get weighed down like this, Peter is saying, he says, it's going to be a shock and a surprise when Christ returns and turns everything around all of a sudden. You're not going to be expecting it. 
He says, no, you keep your focus on Christ. Guard your heart. Don't let it be weighed down from the course of this world. Number five, we have to dismantle faulty thinking. Within our own heart, within this battlefield, the, the, uh, becoming sober-minded, we have to dismantle faulty thinking. First, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing, that's our ideas, every lofty thing that raises up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We have to dismantle. The way we used to think, we've got to, one thought at a time, take that thought, hey, you know what? That thought doesn't match up with this word. And I have to dismantle it from my worldview. I have to dismantle it from my, uh, my philosophy or, or the, the way I used to think like the world did. And there's a lot of people out there trying to twist, twist things. Satan himself, of course, tries to twist things, twist reality. And it's mainly from those who are trying to, to, to say, uh, explain God away, that there is no God. And they're, they're trying to twist reality. Oh, God doesn't exist, so you can do this, or you can do that. God doesn't care about these things. God doesn't uh, uh, care about this or that. And, and we, have to, we have to check ourselves. We have to dismantle those, that kind of thinking. Say, no, I'm going to check myself, and, and I'm going to... Uh, Obey this, this word. I'm going to tear down those old habits of thinking. We don't live by speculations. We don't live by worldly philosophies, worldly thinking. Our worldview includes God at the center and His word uh, and all of the commands, all of the responsibilities that we have from Him. Number six, renew our mind. Renew our mind. Now, you knew this one was coming. Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, renew our mind. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that, here's why, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and actually perfect. We have to, we have to renew our mind, dismantle this old way of thinking and then we have to train ourselves to think like God thinks, renewing our mind. And, and, and to the point that we can discern, to the point that we can discern, yep, this is right and that's wrong. This is acceptable, that's not acceptable. This is actually perfect. This is where we need to be. And the Christian needs to have that kind of discernment. We have to have the mind of, of Christ, and we have to saturate ourselves with the Word of God to be able to get that. We have to think biblically. That's what Paul is calling us to in Romans chapter 12, with the think biblically, renewing our mind. Number seven. Number seven is to be disciplined in relation to sin. We have to be disciplined in regards to sin. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, he says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Make no provision. Uh, there's some verses that just get you. He says, I don't have a problem with 
killing people. I, I don't, you know, I haven't been in prison for, for killing people. I haven't been in, in prison for, well, a lot of things. I've never been in prison. Okay? But you know what? This one gets me. There are some things that, that pull me in, that, that pull my, my flesh in. And he says, don't put, on, put on the, the things of the Lord Jesus Christ and make no, provision for the, make no provision for the flesh. Yes, Carl, make no provision for the flesh. That's hard. There's, again, two, two commands here. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our new identity in Him, in Christ. We, we put it on His character. We're taking on His name. We must take on His holy character. And then, to the point that we don't trust ourselves. That's the second command. Don't trust ourselves. Don't trust yourself, Carl Dingus, to be in that situation. You need to avoid those kinds of situations. So we... Do we discipline ourselves? Number eight, we don't flirt with the world. James chapter four. James chapter four, verse four. You adulterers, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be the friend, wishes to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. It's part of that battle, isn't it? We don't even flirt with the world. James is talking to people here that are trying to, they're living a double life. They're trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And James said, that's not going to work. You try that and you're already an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. You're just flirting with the world. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. And he says, that's just foolish. You're really fooling yourself because you're, you're really an enemy of God. So we don't even flirt with the world. So, so being sober-minded, we have to keep that in mind. Number nine. Number nine. As we control our thoughts. And that's hard. We control our thoughts. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is anything excellent, any, any excellences, and if... Anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about these things. Um, and this is, this is hitting the area of self-talk. We, we talk to ourselves. Carl, why did you do that? Well, I don't know. I was, that was dumb. Right? We, we saw, this is preaching to ourselves. That's the battle, isn't it? That's the battle. We preach to ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see that we speak the truth in love. Well, where do we speak that truth first? To ourselves. We speak the truth to ourselves first. We shepherd our own heart. I just like that idea here. It's the Lord shepherding us, taking His Word, reminding us of His Word, what His Word says about it, and then applying it to this sinful heart and saying, no, Carl, you check yourself there. And so we, we control our thinking I have to say to myself, no, I'm not going to let you go down that rabbit hole. I'm not going to let you go down that trail. I'm not going to let you think those thoughts. No, I'm going to check those things because that's not true and honorable. That's not right. That's not pure and lovely. I'm going to think on these things. That's what Paul is, is saying here. And that's where the conflict is, isn't it? It's our, our thinking. Our thinking. Um, because we have habits of thinking. <laughs> 
We just, we are habitual creatures. We do things out of habit. We, we think habitual thoughts. We, the same thing. When this happens, you know, this is my response. Why is that my response? Because I think a certain way. And we have to retrain the way we think. And that's hard, guys. It's, it's not an easy thing. But Paul, Paul is saying, think on these things. Take the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, and, and meditate and dwell and, and, and capture your thoughts. I hope you get that, that picture. And we're to be sober-minded. I have a, a nephew. A, I think it's a second cousin. I'm not sure. Uh, he's a policeman in Charleston. He works the night shift. And I was talking to him about these things and one time. And he was just saying how hard it is to stay awake, to, to be a night shift guy. It's just, it's just hard. It's hard to be alert when it's... When the flesh is crying out, get sleep. It's a hard thing. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians can't have any fun, but it does mean that we take life seriously. That we look around at this foolish, shallow, silly world and we sober up. And we, we guard our words. We, we don't look at things just flippantly. We are careful with the truth. We, we're not just seeking the approval of men. We want the approval of, of God. Folks, we live in an entertainment society and everything's just so silly and superficial. We could spend hours playing silly games on our phone. We can. I, I do that. Watching TV. Uh, and all the foolish little stuff that the world does. We can do that. But we're not going to be ready when the battle comes to us. We're not going to be watchful. We're not going to be of sober mind when the battle comes to us. And, and we need to, to do that. We need to face the reality, folks, that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. Satan is now bringing the battle to us. The heart is where that battleground is going to, to start. And we got to be prepared. And it's a good fight. It's a good fight. And we, with our conscience, with our thinking, we fortify that with the Word of, of God. We, we gain the weapons of our warfare, the Word of God, and then we, then we face Satan. And we're prepared. The second thing, verse 9, is, but resist him. But resist him. Now, you're thinking, oh, please, he's not going to go into all that. I'm not. But I want you to see that for next week. But resist. How do we resist? How do we resist? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, make us alert. Oh, Father, help us to not get caught up into this silly, superficial world that we live in. Help us to stand out. Help us to be a part. As strangers and aliens, help us to be distinct and take on your character, a holy character. And Lord, as the battle rages in our own mind, there's so many lies out there today. Help us to be discerning. Help us to know your word. Be saturated with your word to the point that we can discern good and evil what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, even what is perfect. Lord, work in our heart. I thank you for 
Oh, Lord, thank you for changing our life. Lord, if there's someone here today that has not been changed from within, I pray that you would work in their life today. I pray that they would come to you, accepting your son, believing in your son, putting their faith and trust in him. Stop rebelling and fighting. Lord, we thank you for the provision of salvation. I pray that that we would be on the right side here. We thank you, Lord, for your word, the guidance that it gives us, and the preparation it gives us for this warfare. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.